Good morning, church. Let us pray before we read God's word. Glory to you, God. Thank you for the word we are about to receive. We come to you in prayer this morning and ask as we hear your word, you fill our hearts and minds and that we do good with it, glorifying you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us turn to chapter 4 in Acts and we will be reading from verse 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders he had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles, signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you. The Lord be with you. And let me add my well wishes to all mothers. Uh, You have been wonderful. As uh, you have said, um, we uh, give you this special tribute to all that you have done for all your love and all your hard work. Um, We continue our series in the book of Acts. Now, some 60 years ago, five men prayed for courage to bring the gospel to a tribal people in a remote part of Ecuador. Uh, These tribal people were known for their hostility towards outsiders. And after much preparation, the five young men landed their light plane by a river near a settlement of of these tribal people. And their hopes ran high when they made contact with a man and two women from the tribe. At last, they thought, God was finally opening the door. And the five men camped by the river, hoping that more of the tribal people would come out to visit them. Two days later, more of the tribal people did come, but they came to kill the five young men. And when the widows of the men, um, I mean, when the widows of these men uh, heard the news, they were devastated. They were devastated to learn that their husbands had been speared to death. And in their grief, the widows prayed. They did not pray that God would bring the murderers to justice. Instead, 
They prayed that God would fill their heart with love for the tribal people. And they also prayed that the indigenous people would one day get to hear, the, hear about Jesus, the name by which all people must be saved. And God answered their prayer. A few years later, one of the widows and a sister of another widow boldly returned to the same people that killed the five men. And they started a gospel work there. And this work eventually led to many conversions, including those who murdered the five men. You can read the full story of this great work of God in the book Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband, Jim, was one of the five men killed. And the story of Jim Elliot and his missionary partners is yet another example of how God answers the prayer of his people, made in boldness to do the work of the gospel. Now, boldness in prayer does not mean that we are brash. It does not mean that we are self-confident of our own ability to pray effectively. No. Boldness in prayer means that we are confident of who God is. And we are confident that uh, God is able to accomplish what he has promised in his word. So we can trust God fully. So in other words, boldness in prayer is to pray according to God's will and purpose to save sinners in the name of his Son, Jesus. So we have the first example of boldness in prayer recorded for us in Luke chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, please keep it open to the last section of chapter 4. Now we learned last Sunday that Peter and John had been arrested and put in jail overnight for healing a cripple in the name of Jesus Christ. The Sanhedrin uh, which is the highest Jewish authority in Jerusalem, they then released Peter and John after giving them a severe warning, never again to speak uh, or teach in Jesus' name. And upon their release, Peter and John went back to the early church and reported that all that the Sanhedrin had said to them. And we read that in verse 23. Now imagine you were there that day as one of the members of the early church. How would you respond after you have heard the threats of the Sanhedrin? Well, if you are honest, we would be somewhat afraid. And I think the early church was probably afraid and concerned about the Sanhedrin's threats. But their fear was soon overcome by their faith in God. You see, they had the right view that God is bigger than their fear, and God is certainly bigger than the Sanhedrin. And so they prayed to God with boldness. And this is how we should respond today whenever we face fears of any kind. Now, presently, we know that in Victoria there is a fear. Uh, that the government may legislate new laws against Christians practicing their faith in public. 
And it is not wrong to be afraid. But we can face our fears with faith. We face our fears with faith in God, who is bigger than any government. And faith in God will lead us to boldness in our prayer, like what the early church did. So look at verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now there is boldness in this prayer of the early church. And this boldness is seen in three ways. First, it is seen in the way the early church believes who God is. You see, the believers address God as sovereign Lord. Now the Greek word that is translated sovereign Lord is despotes, from which we get the English word despot. And despot has a negative connotation, but in the Greek it refers to a master who has absolute power. So when we address God as sovereign Lord, it is a confident reminder to us that God is in total charge of the universe. He is the master with absolute uh, power. He is in total charge of the universe. And God is in total charge of the universe because he is the creator. And so in their prayer, the believers acknowledge that God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So if God has made everything in the world, then all things will happen according to God's purpose. And there is purpose to everything that happens to us. Nothing happens by chance because God is in control. And if God is in control of everything, then whatever happens to us uh, has a purpose and he knows about it. And so if God is in control of everything, he is the God of human history. Indeed, world history will unfold according, according to God's plan and purpose. And we know this because the Old Testament prophecies have always come to pass. Now, the Old Testament prophecies tell us about God's plan for the future. And the New Testament records for us the fulfillment of many of these prophecies. And one of the... <coughs> One, of the, one such Old Testament prophecy about the future was made by King David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is recorded in Psalm 2. And the early church quotes part of this psalm in their prayer in verses 25 to 26. So why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The anointed one refers to the Messiah. So this prophecy of Psalm 2 first tells us that the rulers of this world, they are rebellious against God. 
But it is not only the rulers who are rebellious, the people too are rebellious. And together, the rulers and the people, they do not want to come under the rule of God. They want autonomy. They want freedom from God to do their own things in their own way. And they want to have nothing to do with God. And in particular, they want to have nothing to do with God's anointed one, the Messiah. So they will band together. That's what the prophecy says. They will band together and they will conspire to try to remove the Messiah. But the prophecy goes on to tell us that the rulers and the people are engaging in a useless exercise to go against God. It is futile to try to remove the Messiah because the Messiah will come back to put down all the rebellion against God. <clears throat> so all their plotting and scheming will be in vain. Nevertheless, the prophecy will come to pass. And indeed, the first part of the prophecy, the part that tells us about rulers banding together to try to remove the Messiah, that part had been fulfilled. And it had been fulfilled when Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in Jerusalem to crucify Jesus the Messiah. And so the believers continued their prayer with these words in verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So acknowledging that the prophecy indeed had come true. So this is the second way in which the believers showed their boldness in prayer. You see, they affirm that God's word is always true. What God has said through his prophets about the Messiah had now come to pass. God is indeed the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord, the God of human history. And Jesus' death was no accident. Jesus' death was according to God's purpose. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would bear the sins of many. And that was what Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus took the punishment our sins deserve so that we might be forgiven and be reconciled to God. And reconciliation to God is humanity's greatest need today. Yet many people continued their rebellion against God. And they continued their rebellion against Jesus, just as the prophecy in Psalm 2 predicted. They refused to live their lives according to God's laws that will bring human flourishing. They do not want to acknowledge and worship God, even though God is their creator and God provides for them and he sustains them. And they continue to reject Jesus the Messiah and refuse the gift of eternal life. But it is not only the people who rebel against God and against Jesus. The leaders are also in rebellion. Politicians, academics, CEOs of industries, and the news people, 
Many among them have conspired to make it difficult for the followers of Jesus to practice their faith. And these leaders conspire to try to remove any trace of Christian influence in Western society today. And if you read at the news, we will observe how Western countries founded on Judeo-Christian values and ethics are now rejecting the same, these same values in the name of progress. So when we hear about this, we must not be offended. Instead, we must affirm that God's word is still true, that nations will continue to rage against God and rage against Jesus and his followers. But their rage will be futile because when Jesus comes again, he will quell all human rebellion against God. And until Jesus returns, the church today must pray for more people to come to know Jesus and be saved. And this was the third way in which the early church prayed with boldness. In verses 29 and to 30, they prayed this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the early church asked God for three things. First, they asked God to consider the threats of the Sanhedrin. Now, the believers are not asking God to remove the threats. They are not asking God to punish the Sanhedrin for threatening the early church. No, they just ask God to take note of the threats issued by the Sanhedrin. Now, of course, God already knows the threats. But the purpose in this request is to acknowledge God's sovereignty. God is still in charge. So the believers will leave it to God to deal with the threats as he sees fit. And they are not going to worry too much over the threat. And this is a lesson for us today. When we learn of new legislation that may curb religious freedom, we will use the voice we have to register our objection. However, if despite our objection, the bill is still passed, uh, we will acknowledge God's sovereignty. Uh, we won't worry too much about the law, but we will let God deal with the new law as he sees fit. But we can pray that we will not be afraid to continue proclaiming the gospel. And this is the second thing the early church prays for. The Sanhedrin has prohibited the apostles from preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. And so they now pray that in spite of the prohibition, God will enable the believers to speak God's word with boldness. So they will keep preaching Jesus and his resurrection. And the third thing the believers ask is for God to heal and perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. Now, as we said previously, signs and wonders refer to miracles. 
and the power to perform miracles and to perform supernatural healing is given by Jesus to his apostles for the purpose of authenticating their ministry. You see, the apostles, they have the ministry of laying down the foundation of the church. And once the foundation of the church has been laid, and once the apostolic age is over, so miracles are no longer a regular feature of the church. Yes, we can pray for God to heal. We can ask God to do the impossible. And God in His sovereignty and according to His will may answer our prayer. But we are not to expect that miracles will be a regular feature of the church today. Yet, there are some churches, and we have said this before, this church, uh, these churches belong to the new apostolic reformation movement. Uh, they continue to teach that we should expect signs and wonders to accompany our works of evangelism. And they teach that miracles today authenticate the gospel message. They say unbelievers are more likely to believe the gospel if they see miracles performed in the name of Jesus. But this is a false teaching. It is false because it denies the power of the gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so to say that we need miracles to back up the gospel is to say that we don't quite trust the gospel to have power of its own to save. So we are saying that we don't quite trust God's word to have to be powerful enough to save. So, brothers and sisters, we cannot add anything to the gospel to make it more attractive for people. It is a mistake to think that we can add something to the gospel to make it more attractive to, to sinners so that our works of evangelism will be more successful. If you add music to the gospel in the hope that you draw people to the church, it will be the music that sinners will be attracted to. And sinners will not be saved by the music. If you add miracles to the gospel, it will be the miracles that sinners will be attracted to. And sinners will not be saved by the miracles. You see, sinners are saved only when they put their trust in the gospel alone, when they put their faith in Jesus alone, in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and he gives us the gift of eternal life. That is why we need to proclaim the true and the pure gospel, and we need the boldness to proclaim it. And boldness was what the early church asked for. And boldness was what God gave them. Verse 31 tells us this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, this was a big contrast to the situation a few weeks earlier. On the night when Jesus was arrested, most of the disciples ran for cover, and Peter denied Christ three times. And on the morning of uh, Good Friday, only John and Mary were at Calvary as Jesus hung on the cross. And the others, they were nowhere to be seen. They hid themselves from the authorities. But now in Acts chapter 4, they are not afraid to face the authorities. They will go on to proclaim the gospel boldly in the face of opposition. So how do you explain the difference? Well, the difference, Luke gives us the answer. The difference is due to the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. And now the believers were filled with the Spirit. It was the Spirit who filled their hearts with boldness and courage to carry on preaching the gospel. <clears throat> and we must be filled with the Spirit to have this boldness. And the filling with the Spirit comes after the baptism of the Spirit. And we must not confuse the two. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to everyone who believes. And it first happened to the 120 uh, believers on the day of Pentecost when God poured out uh, the Holy Spirit as promised by Jesus to his disciples. After Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost, all new believers will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the time of their conversion. And it is a, it is a once-only event. But the filling with the Spirit, that's different. It is repeatable. And it happens whenever God enables his people to do the works of to do the works of evangelism or to do any special task to defend or to proclaim the gospel. So for example, when Peter had to explain the healing of the cripple in the temple, uh, we are told that he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he spoke boldly to the Sanhedrin about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, in an increasingly hostile society, the church needs courage and boldness to proclaim and defend the gospel. And how do we get this boldness and courage? Well, we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so we must therefore pray with boldness to ask God to fill us with his spirit so that we will please God rather than human beings, so that we will be willing to suffer for the gospel's sake, so that we will live out the moral standards of the gospel. And we must keep asking, we must keep asking God to fill us with his spirit so that we will continue to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Let us pray. Sovereign Lord, you have given us the example of the early church 
to teach us to be your faithful and holy people. We have heard of how you gave the early church the power of the Spirit and how the Spirit changed fearful believers into courageous believers. We pray that you will do the same work in us today. Grant to us the same great boldness so that we will never be ashamed of your gospel. Instead, with gladness, we will always proclaim and defend the truth about Jesus and his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen.